I tell people that you need to be able to get it done in a day, do it well in a week and make it great in a month, regardless of what the project is. Like literally anything could come across my desk and I could get it done in a day. It's probably going to suck and not be great. But yeah, I think I've trained enough and honed the skills to where I have the ability to get it done in a day. I have the ability to make it good in a week, right? There it's like, okay, yeah, there's like, there's some interesting things happening here. Like it's not fully fleshed out, but like, yeah, sure. It's okay. And then if you give me a month, I'll knock it out of the park. Uh, pretty much any project that you could give me in a month at this point, I'm confident that I could be like, yeah, we can knock this out of the park in a month. And that helps to scale and kind of meter my expectations for myself and be authentic to the client. Thank you so much for listening in. I am Roberta, the illustrator behind Happy Impulse, and this is Happy Impulse Unfiltered, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the bullshit happening in our society and I create art about it. Because the more we talk about this shit, these issues, the more we can change and better the world around us. So welcome to Happy Impulse Unfiltered, and as always, thank you for giving a fuck. So before we dive and can you briefly tell the listeners about yourself? Yeah. So uh, my name is Andrew Hawkrattle. I'm in Southern California, just outside of LA. Um, I do a little bit of everything. I've been calling myself a creative for hire lately because I was doing just brand identity design and I have moved into doing a lot of content creation. I've moved into a lot of producing. And so I'm actually producing other people's events. Now I'm producing my own events. So I help produce creative South, which is a conference in Atlanta, Georgia in April, sorry, in Columbus, Georgia in April. And then I also produce a uh, canceled conference. But yeah, a little bit of everything, uh, anything creative, I love and I love to do it. I love that. But every time I watch you, I feel like you're on the road. You're always traveling. You're always on the go. When do you actually have time to rest and like reset? Yeah, I think um, I get really inspired by traveling and I love traveling. Just like the experience of it feels adventurous and it feels new. And I think it gives me new perspectives on the world. And so I think it's really important to like try out different cultures and go to different places because it just gives you a different like mind space to work in. Um, anytime I'm not on camera, I try to be traveling because all my other work I can do remote. And so if I don't have to be on camera for something, I'll book a trip um, and kind of live by my schedule to make sure that I can be traveling as much as I do. But yeah, I just love to travel. And so I do it as much as possible. So then how did you have that conversation with the people you work for that you were just going to be remote. You're going to be, you won't come to the office if they have an office close to you. You're just wherever you are is where you'll be. Yeah. All my long-term clients are actually East coast. And so it's always been that, um, as I got brought on, cause I do a lot of, um, retainer work. And so they've always known that I just, I'm on the other coast and it actually is the best thing ever because they'll send me projects and work at the end of their day and then have it by the beginning of their next day. So I'll get it at like, 2 p.m. and then work on it that afternoon or that night. And then when they wake up in the morning, it's already done and waiting for them. And so that's the best thing to have that kind of time zone difference because they just assume that they're not getting stuff same day. I love that. And then you kind of delight them. 
Yes, exactly. And I have a couple clients in Australia as well, which is just a whole different story. Uh, that's like an 18 hour time <laughs> difference They're They're a day ahead. And so those deadlines get a little bit crazy because I'm like, OK, I have a day. And I'm like, oh, no, it's due right now. <laughs> Based off your work, you're very community oriented. Yes. So you help create events and you help work on events that are very focused around that hug of connecting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to kind of find your place. And I think that it's important to have a place for everyone. Um, and that's why I love going to as many conferences because there are some conferences to where I'm just like, Oh, I don't like this vibe or like, eh, I don't really like what they're into or what they stand for. But I'm like, Oh, they have a place and they're building a place for people. And I don't have to be a part of this community, but I need to support this community because I like being an advocate for community in general. Um, it's so important, especially in the creative industry, we kind of tend to get into silos of trends or, you know, uh, specific styles and being able to just come together and inspire each other, I think is what makes it magic and kind of having that cross pollinization of, you know, our conference is about this and our conference is about that. And we think this and we think that, and we're doing this kind of work and that kind of work. It just helps me get out of my brain and experience new things and then reinterpret them in kind of my own mindset and worldview, which is interesting and fun. So I think something that's interesting about you, and I could be wrong, but I think that when we talked before, you said that you're an introvert. I am secretly an introvert. I don't really ever let people see that because um, I think a lot of a lot of me is extroverted. I'm super, super extroverted, but I'm kind of a secret introvert when I'm not even at Creative South, which is a conference that I do um, in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, I'll host the conference. And so I have to be extrovert the entire week. Like I have to be out extrovert on stage, um, you know, mingling with people, getting to know everyone, investing back in that to community. But there are times when I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go like sit in the back in a green room and nobody come talk to me for a little while. Um, or I'll like, I like to walk around when I go to Vegas, I have a couple clients in Vegas and that is like my recharge. And so I like to be around the energy of people, but in my own way. So I'll pop in my headphones and just walk the strip and it's pure chaos. And it's like, I need to be around people, but not involved with them sometimes. And so I'm always in an extrovert zone, but like a very, introvert version of an extrovert when I need to be. That must be challenging, especially with you going on the road a lot and having to be always kind of on because you also work on Adobe Live events and like you're everywhere, honestly, in the creative world. Like, thank you from a creative to a creative who is everywhere. (laughs) Thank you for showing up for the community, of course. What has been some thing interesting that you've learned in your time, like being a creative, like you're doing freelance, you are always on events, you're helping hosts, you're helping content creation. Like I've seen videos of you at the gym doing like deadlifts. So I mean, I've seen like you in all types of areas. Like you're like, I'm on a plane, I'm deadlifting. Like you're so on all the time. Yeah, I think, I think I am on a lot. And I think that there are moments of that that are recharging to me. I've always told people that like my artists for me, but you get to watch. And so that's 
there are moments and times that I choose that. And to me, it doesn't feel exhausting and it doesn't feel like I'm on sometimes because I'm like choosing to share it. And so things like regular life or content that I'm creating that I'm just putting out there for fun or a personal project to me, that doesn't feel like I have to be on. It feels like I'm like, Oh, I'm just sharing with, with you. Like this is for me. I'm sharing it with you. So you get to experience it. Um, but there very much is kind of a burnout sometimes of when I have to be on of just screwing in a smile, going straight through. Um, and thankfully, I've built up a great resistance to where I can have that for a long time. Uh, it's something that I think people need. And when I feel that need, that's like, oh, you need entertainment, you need energy, you need happiness right now. Um, I'm really good at providing those things. And so I know that it's kind of my responsibility to make people laugh, to give them that moment of escape to, you know, pay off the excitement and the anticipation that they have for an event. Uh, that's my job. And that's what I need to do because I'm capable of it and I've trained to do it. And so I need to pay that off. But then when it's time to be off. I go off very, very, very hard. I, I, I kind of turn it off. Uh, and I've even talked in other podcasts and stuff before that there is a sense of living as a character for certain things, that there is this elevated version of me. And then people that are closer to me kind of get the regular everyday version, which I think is a lot more chill. But I definitely have to amp it up a lot for these moments when people are expecting that. How do you recover? Like earlier you had said you pop in your headphones, you are around people, you're not engaging with them, but what are other ways that you kind of chill out, especially for those who might be also introverts, extroverts, sorry, extroverts with an introvert. Yeah, I think I do stuff for me. I think that a lot of that being on, I know is for other people. Very rarely is me generating content or being in my on mode, something that I'm doing for like canceled content stuff that I'm passionate about. It is for me, but it's very much for other people. Um, and I know that they're just consuming something and I'm trying to give that to them to consume. And so I think that my my recharge and kind of my my debrief from that is doing stuff for me. And so I'll go see a movie or I'll kind of just do whatever I want. And to me, that's the thing that I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go walk around the mall for a little while. And like, if I want to buy something like I'll get a shirt and, you know, oh, I'm going to go to lunch today and just kind of go out and see where the day takes me. Having those kind of times where everything I do during that time is just whatever I want. It's all for me. Uh, that helps me kind of get my zone back and recharge myself so that I can kind of synthesize that and then give back to other people. I kind of am, feel like a factory to where I take in the stuff for me and then like it all muddles around in me and in my brain and, you know, defragments and get me more space. And then I kind of process that back out to other people. Have you ever heard people ask you, like, how do you fill up your cup? I feel like based off what yes. you're saying, you have almost two cups and you're like, I just need them half full. And they're almost like continuously pouring into each other. I feel like it's more like a, it's more like a Brita filter that like, there's like the top part for me and then like life kind of filters in the middle. And that's kind of my processing. And then at the bottom, everyone gets like the filtered pure version of whatever is the experiences or inspiration or whatever that I'm getting for life. I kind of filter and how it can be best delivered in a pure form to other people. And then they get like the water that happens at the bottom. 
I'm expecting just from this conversation, you're like, oh, I, I'm going to create all this goddamn art because I am a goddamn Brita filter. <laughs> I'm a Brita filter. So you deal a lot with community. What's a challenging topic you're willing to have a conversation on? I'm trying to think to not take like the hottest takes, because, again, I, I try to be an advocate for all communities and any form of community. I think the thing that gets me like a little riled up is when, from my perception, people leverage community for something else that like they use community as a guise for something else. And almost I mean, it's 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 like the idea of like a multi-level marketing kind of thing that it becomes like oh this community and my upline and join my team and it's like i don't this isn't community community is for a bunch of people not just one person or a team it's it's for everyone and everyone supports everyone and it has to be a two-way street and i think the thing that gets me riled up is when i see it being a one-way street i'm like no that's not how this works like we do not stand for that right now um and kind of become the guy at the table to when like the waiter comes up and is like do you guys need anything and i'm like no thanks we're good Uh, (laughs) i kind of become that guy for the the community in general is like no we can't do that nope i'm gonna go ahead and say a big no on that one. I think that's nicely put. I think I definitely agree with you on the mentality of if you're going to sell something, at least be like, this is an ad. Be honest about it. Yeah. And don't say like, I just want us to be friends. And then like five weeks later, ask me to meet you in your backyard because you have like some great new thing I should invest in or something. Just be straight up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't don't be my friend to sell me something. Just sell me something and then be my friend. Yeah, exactly. Great. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I think we almost have this problem with like freelancers too. And I know this is, I'm being such an asshole about this, but it's where if a company approaches you and like, Hey, how much do you bill? And they're like, Oh, if you're asking me about your price, my price is up front. You're not serious. And then it's like, no, if, if I think you're worth it. I'm willing to pay like several grand for you. But if you tell me exactly what I'm going to be paying for, but if you hide it and you're afraid to tell me your prices, I don't trust you as much. Like if you're not straight up running, you're like, this is how much it's going to cost. This is how much time. This is what I'm giving you. Then I'm like, okay, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to see if I can save up money to afford you. And then I'm going to connect with you. But if you say, oh, I'm going to bill you at the end, I don't know what that money is. Like, it feels very like sneaky. It feels very like hurtful in a way. And then I'm going to be upset as like a business owner. Yes. Yep. I hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. I think, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of sales tactics and even on some of my shows and streams, we teach sales tactics and how to, you know, negotiate with clients and that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that there's a space for that, but I like to do what you just said of just like, just be upfront. Here's like, here's what's going to cost. Here's going to be got it. Um, I do think there's a time to kind of play the games, but I don't like the games. <laughs> well, all right. Give, um, give the listeners what a sales tactic is that you think is honest. I try to build a good enough relationship with clients that I think are going to be long terms to where I don't think that I'd say that they're friends. I don't think that clients are your friends um, unless they are actually your friends, but then they need to have some kind of separation. But I try to build an open enough zone to where I'm just quoting straight up to be like, hey, here's what's going to cost you. That's it. If you 
know my value. If you want what we're doing, here's what's going to cost. If not, totally fine. And it's almost that, you know, friendly conversation of, Hey, you want to like hang out tonight and go to dinner? If not, if you're busy, that's totally fine. Right. That's like, Hey, this project's going to cost you 25 grand. And if that's out of your budget, that's totally fine. Um, no pressure, not making it weird not trying to put any like craziness on it. Uh, but then I also think that trying to, trying to switch that on them is really effective sometimes too. to put in the effort, invest into that relationship. And then when they get to the point where like, Hey, you know, what's your, what are your rates of flipping it back and saying, you know, Oh, do you have a budget for this project? Like what's, what's the budget that you have the zone. And that to me feels like if I have a good enough relationship and I've built enough trust with them, uh, either indirectly or directly, that will hopefully become an easy conversation for them to do the same thing. I love that. So it feels like this conversation is centered around community and being upfront and being honest. And if people don't like it, people don't like it, that they're not your cup of tea and that's perfectly fine. But if people like it, great. That's awesome. You have new friends, you have new clients, you have new connections where you can make cool shit together. Yeah. And I think that being authentic to yourself is a big deal in the creative industry. And I think that, we pick and choose even projects or clients that we want to work with or go after that uh, feel authentic to us. But I also think that there's a side of just doing it for a paycheck. But I think that that is not inauthentic. I think that that's just being authentic to yourself, right? That I'm like, hey, I just want this money. Like, I don't care all about this project. I want to cash this check and that's fine, right? I'm going to be authentic to myself and not try to say, you know, oh, I'm so interested in this project. It's going to be a portfolio. Like we're really, you know, excited to be a part of this. It's like, cool. What what do we need to hire me for? I can accomplish that goal for you. Sounds good. I'll do that. Send the check in the mail. Um, I think that that's fine as well, but just be authentic about it. Don't try to put spin on it and don't try to sell your client that you're excited about something when you're not. If you don't need to be excited, like it's the best thing that's ever happened don't be just be authentic and be like great what are our goals cool i can get this done by friday sounds good and literally do the thing and that's it everything you do doesn't have to be the best work you've ever done sometimes it just has to be good enough i feel like that's a mentality that's the difference between being a baby designer and being like a full-grown designer if you're a baby designer you're like oh this small little logo for something that you're not passionate about. You're like, oh, I'm going to make this great. I'm going to reinvent the wheel. I'm going to spend hours and hours on it. I just, it's going to be great. When at the end of the day, it wasn't the client brief. They wanted something super simple. They wanted a placeholder for yeah. later on when they understand what their brand is. And at the moment, they just need maybe some copy on a page. And that's our yep. for now. Yeah, there there are definitely projects that I get excited about that I'm like, yes, I'm doing this. But I always tell people uh, two things. One is that you'll have a lot of projects that the answer should just be sure, right? The client says, hey, can you do this project? We really want to, you know, do X, Y, and Z. And the answer needs to be sure. Not like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be a part of this and we're going to take it to another level. The answer is just, sure, we can do that. Hey, uh, we have some revisions. Can you make these changes? Sure. Right. I'm not going to have any creative input on that project. I'm not going to be actively involved. It's something that from the beginning, I know that everyone's on the page. This is just a sure project that you need something done. I can accomplish that goal. 
we're not going to ask them back and forth. We're just going to do it. That's fine. And so I think that one, there is a huge valley of sure projects in your career. There's going to be a huge zone of projects that are just like, yeah, okay. There's a very, very small valley of I'm ashamed that I did that. And that sucked so bad. And then a very small hilltop of, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing that I've ever created. I was so excited about it. I think that, uh, a lot of baby designers starting out think that there's going to be 80% amazing, 10% sure, and then 10% terrible. And it's like 80% sure. And then 10% on either side of amazing and terrible. Um, and I think you have to get in that mindset that like, that's fine. Um, and especially when you talk through budgets and kind of the scope of the project, this is the, the second thing is, I tell people that you need to be able to get it done in a day, do it well in a week and make it great in a month, regardless of what the project is. Like literally anything could come across my desk and I could get it done in a day. It's probably going to suck and not be great. But yeah, I think I've trained enough and honed the skills to where I have the ability to get it done in a day. I have the ability to make it good in a week, right? There it's like, okay, yeah, there's like, there's some interesting things happening here. Like it's not fully fleshed out, but like, yeah, sure. It's okay. And then if you give me a month, I'll knock it out of the park. Uh, pretty much any project that you could give me in a month at this point, I'm confident that I could be like, yeah, we can knock this out of the park in a month. And that helps to scale and kind of meter my expectations for myself and be authentic to the client to say, oh, you need this next week. Great. So here's what we can do for that. It's going to be just a sure project. You're going to need to tell me what to do. Give me some art direction um, and kind of gauge that on there. And I think that that helps a lot to start to grow from that baby designer into the larger kind of world of design and more established designers. Having that mindset of there's going to be a lot of stuff that is just sure. And then I'm going to pick my moments and I'm going to freaking like grand slam home run, but you can't hit a home run every time. Sometimes you need like the one base. You need to do a bunt every now and then <laughs> like it, it kind of happens. No, it's, it sounds like it's that mindset of presenting the client with like three options. Like you have it set in your head. You're like amazing. Okay. And this is kind of what you want if you give me a little bit more time. And you've set that time frame for yep. yourself. So if you're not in love with the project, it's not a big deal. You let it roll off. And you're like, okay, that's perfectly fine. I'll get it done. It's a short project. I'm fulfilling the client's needs. I am still a problem solver. And maybe this isn't the problem that I wanted to solve, but I'm still getting it done. Yep. And the great thing about those keeping those time zones in your brain is that those rates should pretty much all be almost exactly the same <laughs> because they kind of offset each other to where if you have a month for a project and you need to be amazing, then that's going to be a big pull. If you have a week, then it's on a rush. And so the fee for the rush goes up, even though the fee for the project may go down because it's less work or it's not as involved. And then for a day, the rush fee is going to be really high because it's literally killing a day for you. But then the work is going to be low. So maybe the work is, you know, $300 worth of time, right? It's, you know, a couple hours that you need to get done, but that rush fee is going to be through the roof, right? You, they buy out a day. They're basically buying out a day for feedback. Cool. Instead of paying 
for the amount of time on the project, you're going to pay a day rate. And so those fees and kind of the levels start to even out. If you keep that mind, don't ever have it scale on like, okay, cool. So it's a month, so it should be cheaper. And then it's a week. So it should be a little more and then a day is a lot that you should offset those with the amount of work and the rush on that timeline. I think that's really good to keep in mind. And I think since it seems like we've floated into the world of most contracts and negotiating that you also have to keep in mind to create a kill fee within your contract with whatever project you're working on. There's some projects out there that even I worked on, even when I was, a, especially when I was a baby designer, that it just didn't go anywhere. Like I got paid for it, but it never actually made it to the finish line. And I should have had in the contract kill fee. Yep. I have started taking half up front um, as a deposit. And I have in my contracts that work doesn't start until like the check has cleared into my bank account for the first half. And so if they have a tight deadline, I'm like, great, you're just going to have to pay me super quick because I'm totally down to get this done by Friday, but I'm not starting until the deposit is in my bank account. Um, And so that has helped me with that. If projects don't go through, there's a kill or whatever. I already have half and that's just, Cool. We can cut it in half. Great. Um, but yes, kill fees are a great idea if you're doing like a smaller deposit on the front end and then going into the closeout. Having that kill fee of, you know, 10, 15 percent is just a lifesaver. I definitely in the past, I guess not as recently, I've definitely done the whole 50 up front, 25 percent like midway through and then 25 percent. Oh, yes. End. Checkpoints are great. And the reason why I really loved those is because if I'm not super excited about the project, but if I get 50% up front, I'm going to be excited about the project because money. And then also yep. I feel guilty if I'm not working on the project because they've paid me for half of the projects. So I'm like, okay, well, I at least have to do half. And then by the time I've done half, it's like the 25% checkpoint kicks in and I'm like, oh, more money. And then I'm like, okay, well, I might yep. as well do 75%. And I hit, I'm getting close to that final. And I was like, oh, if I just finish this, I can get that last 25%. And maybe I can like buy something I've been looking at for a while or like pay down my credit card debt or like do something that I've been wanting to do that I just need the money for. And I'm like, I I don't like to look at myself and think that I'd be inspired or motivated by money. But as I've grown up, I'm like, no, I can be motivated by money. I can I can be yeah. motivated just by money itself. Just be motivated by money again. Like it goes back to that authenticity and especially in the freelance world of, you know, oh, I'm really passionate about the work. It's like, I don't care all about this. I want to cash a check. And that's what it's going to be. And that's totally fine uh, to like come in authentically, like you said, of just like, cool, I'm this is a, I'm just getting paid. That's it. And. If you're real with yourself, you can still be doing all of the stuff that you're passionate about. You can still be creating art about yes. the environment. You can still be writing blog posts about like the world and things that you're doing for the world. You can still be volunteering at like the community soup kitchen or volunteering for other things. But that shouldn't make you feel bad for just like getting a check for something that you're not super passionate about. You're allowed to just do that. 
Yeah. And I think that it almost gives you more brain space to be able to do the things that you're passionate about, right? That I'm not worrying or thinking about this project that's lingering over me that, you know, oh man, I'm a little bit behind on it. I need to get it done. Like, oh man, I need to come up with ideas of I'm driving and thinking about like brainstorming. It gives you that space to say, oh no, when I'm sitting down to work on this, I'm going to work on it. And it gets no, no other time other than the time that I'm getting paid for on it. Um, and especially with hourly projects that it's like, I'm literally not thinking about this until the second I clock in allows me to have that space to go, Oh man, I really want to work on this Southwest stuff on this flight, right? There have been projects where I have work that I need to get done, but I'm taking a flight and I'm like, Oh, I want to make something fun. And so instead of working on that project for the flight, I'm like, I want to do something fun. Cause they're not paying me to think about this project on the flight. Um, when I land and get to the office, great clock in and let's, let's get some hours going on this. And I'll start thinking about it, but being able to differentiate that between I'm passionate about this project or I am literally filling my bank account at this time, uh, that helps to give you more space for those fun, creative projects. I think like as a freelancer, it took me a long time to realize charge for the meetings that you have as well. Oh, yeah. I, I'm about to in, uh, I'm about to hot take and power flex on a client so hard and invoice them for the amount of time that I've written uh, that I've been written writing emails and trying to track them down. They're eight months late on paying me on some stuff. <laughs> yep. Uh huh. I threatened legal action. Uh, that was the last move that I took. Uh, and so I, I, I'm about to just write an invoice for the amount of time that I've had to spend in meetings and waiting and writing emails and research and tracking down people and just see how that goes over. I don't think it's going to go over well, but, uh, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time on it and I'm like, Hey, I spent a lot of time just trying to track this down. I'm just going to go ahead and pass that along to you. Cause you guys need to pay me for that extra time. Cause it's become a part of the job now. I think what's also great about that is as you get older in your creative field, you actually have that mentality of my time was worth something. Yes. And when you're younger, or at least from my perspective, I experience like, oh, I'm worthless until I create something. When I make something, that's what's worth it. And then as I've gotten older, I'm like, no. During this time, I could be like taking a really nice bath or I could be like going outside or doing something that I enjoy with my life. And work is great and everything. I'm passionate about work. But if I'm not in love with the project, it's okay to be like, you're paying me for the time that I'm not taking in life's bath right now. Like that's what you're paying me for. Yep. And you're paying me because you and I are sitting in a meeting that I'm showing up for knowing that you're paying me for, even if I'm not having the best day, I'm going to show up and realize that if I go to this meeting, I'll get paid down the line. We're setting up a better communication because we're collaborative, but I'm not hurting myself by saying, oh, let's just do a project rate where I might not get paid for the meetings. Like you can have a project rate and also have an hourly rate for meetings. You can go beyond in your contract. You can give more details. And it's also about being really upfront is what you're saying as well, which I really, I super value because I work with like a lot of vendors and I create things. So sometimes I'll be like, here's the deal. I don't have the money for this right now, but I'm going to have the money for it in a week. So I'm going to disappear for a week. I'm going to have the money. This is the day I'm going to pay you. Are you good with that? And they're like, yes, we're great. I'm like, okay, cool. 
you can start on it. I'm paying it on this date. Done. I'm very upfront because I might not have the money then. And I'm aware of it. And it's the same thing when you're charging people. You're like, this is what, this is the deal. This is how much I need to do your project. I'm going to be very upfront with you. I really would like to have an honest conversation because if all the cards are on the table, you're not going to be surprised on the road. Yep. If you know that you're walking into a meeting with me and it's going to cost X amount of dollars, you're not surprised when I bill you later for that amount. Yep. And oh my gosh, meetings that you they know they're getting charged for are so more efficient. Like I've had so many meetings that kind of just go on and on and on. But then compared to ones that it's like, cool, my rate is X amount an hour. You're going to schedule an hour meeting. You know that you're paying me some money for this meeting. You're going to get to it and get as much out of that time as possible. And then I'm not going to be sitting there listening to, you know, just, oh, yeah, we're just hanging out. And like, oh, man, I, I need to look some stuff up. Like you're going to come ready with documents and we're going to get that meeting done super efficiently because, you know, you're paying for it. Uh, and that becomes a world of difference just in workflow. Oh, no, my meetings went from previously like an hour hour to an hour and a half down to like 30 minutes real quick. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I think that you mentioned it earlier, that idea of like the, this transition of realizing that your time has worth. I think that even like this thing to where I'm going to invoice this client on time for emails, which I might not actually do. We'll see what happens uh, to me. Just making that invoice to me is more in a practice for me of getting more comfortable with that and getting more confident in thinking, Oh no, they have taken my time and my time has value and they need to pay for that value. I am valuable. The insight that I have, the time and almost the, the brain that I have, they're taking space in my brain and they need to pay for that because that is important. That is valuable to me. It's almost just like an affirmation for myself. Um, like, I mean, hopefully they don't hear this. Like, I don't, I wouldn't care about that money if I invoiced them for hours written, writing emails and tracking them down. Like, I don't care about getting that money. I care about sending that invoice and standing up for myself and getting that practice to say, Hey, you have wasted a lot of my time and you have disrespected me by not paying me for eight months. So I'm going to hit you with a late fee. And I'm also going to increase you for the time that I've spent trying to track you down uh, to me that lesson for myself is more worth it than them actually paying that invoice. Right. And I think I've started viewing money differently because of understanding that kind of like what you're saying, it's just like, sometimes it's just standing up for yourself. You're like, look, I'm charging for this time because I'm worth this time. And it's also setting myself up for understanding of like, I am worth this time. Like I've spent years perfecting my craft. I'm going to charge for that for those years. I can probably get something done in a day yeah. like you. I'm like, I can get that done in a day. I'm charging you for all of my time mastering my craft. Yep. And I think that the, the practice of, oh, I'm going to invoice you for hours that I spent writing emails makes it so much easier when someone comes to me to say, hey, can you like do this little thing real quick? 
Like, yes, of course I'm going to invoice you for those. Like if I invoice somebody for writing emails and that's my standard, then my standard for actually doing work is going to be way higher, right? That it's just a practice of me understanding and defining my standards to myself as a creative, as a designer, as a person knowing, okay, cool. This little dumb thing actually sets a standard for a whole bunch of really important things down the road. And I think it's important to, to watch that line go through and not just pay attention to the big things to also figure out how am I setting standards at the lowest so they affect what's happening at the highest. And I think it's also about a question of figuring out which clients are red flag clients and which clients are like good to go. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Do you have any tips for that? Because you and I are talking about probably higher level clients where we're billing them for the time because they know that they can invest in us because we've cultivated that relationship, but you can tell like the difference early on. Yes. It again, it goes back to the same kind of tiff that I have with communities is it has to be a two way street like projects, either projects. Okay. Need to be upfront. Either it is a two way street or it is a one way we are hiring you for X, Y, Z. Perfect. But it needs to be super clear on those. So my red flag is when those start to merge, when it becomes this like, Hey, we're hiring you for this thing, but like, we're really excited to like partner with you. And you know, we all, can we toss this in there too? And when it becomes that, like, oh, I thought this was a two way street that you were going to compensate me for time, that you were going to respect me, that we're going to work collaboratively. And it's turned into or feels like you just want me to do something for you. That's a red flag to me, right? When it's being sold as an us, but it turns into a you, um, that is always red flag. When Even in communications and starting out in initial emails, when it feels like they just want something from me and then I communicate back in a way that is yes, you want something for me. I can provide that to you. Let's do that. And then it turns into this kind of weird, like, oh, we kind of want it to be two way street, but maybe it's one way. That is a big red flag for me is you just need to be upfront and clear on the front end of what this is and what's going down and how it's going to work. Uh, Cause it gets real muddy real fast. And I think that's good advice for any business relationship. I think that you have to err on the side of clarity So, for example, if you're working with like a photographer or something and you absolutely adore them and you're like, okay, I'm paying for this like three hour shoot in your mind, you have to tell the photographer, these are what I'm going to be using these photos for. And I honestly only need like really five really strong shots. If I get other shots, great. But really, I'm paying you only for five shots. And this is what I'm using them for. And this is why I need them. If they have that information, you're going to get what you want because you've set that expectation and they know what they're doing. They're not just like sitting there like, oh, you want to do a photo shoot. Oh, you're shooting products today. Well, what do you want to use the products for? And you're like, oh, I don't know. I haven't really thought of anything. You're setting yourself up for failure and you're also setting the photographer up for failure and your client up for failure. Yeah. And it helps with uh, even negotiating. And I mean, this is getting into a different thing of, you know, subcontracting people, but it even gets into a different zone of respecting them and their pricing, right? If you're going to do that, then you need to be respectful to other people that are doing that and saying, Hey, here's exactly what I'm looking for. Here's what I'm doing. Right. And it's not to get a deal, but it's to communicate upfront. Hey, authentically, here's what I actually need. Like, let me know how long is it going to take you? Let me know what the budget is for that. Um, here's what they're going to be used for and just giving all those details up front and not as a brief, but as kind of just a general, 
heads up, right? Here's what's going to happen. Not like, oh, can I hire you for three hours for a photo shoot? What's your hourly rate for three hours? Okay, cool. So I bought these three hours. Here's all the stuff that I want you to do. Um, I remember when I was in design school, someone hired me for six hours to do as many like t-shirt concepts as I could in those six hours and then just like choose them. And I was like, oh yeah, six hours of work. That's awesome. And then I was like, wait, this is literally the worst thing ever to just throw these concepts out. And then I didn't like follow up on them. It was just cool. They took them and then whatever they took happened and whatever they didn't take didn't happen and yeah it was the worst right because they're not respecting they didn't respect you you didn't realize you needed to ask for that clarity and i think another red flag or at least one that i've experienced is that if you're working with someone and they're very particular about money everyone should be particular about money that's not the red flag the red flag is this you say their rate you say you're right. They ghost you, but then email you a few months later trying to like pin you down. And it's mostly, look, here's the deal. That's my right. Don't ever ghost me because that's going to make me not want to work with you. Just be upfront. Say like, look, I can't afford you right now. Or you tell the client like, look, I'm not super passionate about this project, but it's a sure project. It's a project. I'm going to do whatever you need to get done. This is what's going to take. This is how I'm going to get it done. And if you're not happy with it, we can go to hourly rate. You can pay me that for a little while and we can make those adjustments. But be straight, be upfront, be honest about it because you're going to be... It's going to be easier on your life. There's going to be less drama, less back and forth. You're going to know all the answers right away when you ask, when the questions come up. You're not going to be worried. You're like, this client pays me this rate an hour. And this client is paying me this rate an hour. And this is the project fees. You're not going to be worried about it because you were honest about it. And you took that extra time. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I know we've been talking a lot about freelancing, but is there any other things that you'd like to talk about, like freelancing or community? Because I think all of them tie together because it's mostly about relationships. It's all about relationships. I mean, that's all it is. And I think that from like a freelancing perspective, from a business side of things, like a lot of work comes from friends um, and a lot of work comes from going to conferences to building things up that it's investing those relationships. And I like to think of it as a bank that, right. You invest money into the bank and then the bank gives you interest on that money. And then eventually if you need to make a withdrawal, then you need to make a withdrawal and then your, you know, account goes down, but you can cash in on the interest. And so I think investing in relationships, building authentic community, making friends, you will end up getting interest payments off of that, right? You're, you get jobs, you get connections. Um, and that is not the the intent, right? You don't put money in the bank just to get the interest. You put money in the bank to have somewhere to have it, to invest into it, to grow wealth. And so these, these jobs that come out of it, cool. I've invested in a community. Some interest is paying off. And then there are moments where oh man, I have to make a withdrawal right now, right? And that's when you have that relational equity in a community to say, hey guys, literally nothing in it for you right now. Like I need, I need something from this community and hopefully I have invested enough into this community that I have the funds to make a withdrawal. Right. And so that's something like the first canceled comedy that we did. I knew that that was going to be a huge community withdrawal and say, okay, I'm doing this thing and I'm doing it for the community, but 
like I need the community to blow it up. I need help. I need the community to support this. And it's, it's not going to be anything like you're going to get something out of it. And I'm going to try to reinvest that back. But like, I need to make a withdrawal from you for time, for resources, for funds, even uh, for people that sponsored the second one, knowing that I, I, I thought that I had that relational equity built with communities to go in and again, be upfront and just say, this is withdrawal. Like I'm literally just making a withdrawal right now. Right. That's what I'm doing right now with the, the Southwest project that I'm working on is a lot of that is like small community withdrawals of thinking, do I have the audience? Do I have a community that I've invested in and supported their work and elevated their work to where, when I post out this work that I'm trying to get to Southwest, um, hopefully they will take it somewhere, right? That the ask is, Hey guys, can I make small little withdrawals so that you reshare this, you give it to a friend, you send it over this way. Um, do I have that investment with you from a friendship and from a community aspect for you to give me those tiny little microtransactions uh, in this relationship? If you look at it like that, you're not just asking for that at the end of the day. You're also showing up and connecting with them as individuals. You're saying like, Hey, how are you doing? How's everything going? And you're meeting it. You're saying like, you're going beyond just trying to get something at the end of the day. You're having that authentic relationship to where you've gotten all of these relationships to a point where like, I'm asking something because you know, I would give something to you if you asked the same thing. Yes. And I think that that's my biggest tiff with all the spaces that I've talked about is when you invest into that community and then you take the withdrawal, a portion of that withdrawal has to get re reinvested. It can't just withdraw and then it's that's it. It has to get reinvested because it then continues to grow wealth, right? You never want to just keep withdrawing because then you won't have money. You withdraw and then you reinvest that in and then it grows more interest and then you reinvest that in and then you withdraw. And, re and I think that that's the thing that like grinds my gears, crumbles my cookies is when I see that investment into a community, right? And they're investing, investing, investing a community. They take that moment to make the withdrawal from the community. And then that's it is they've made their withdrawal. To me, that drives me crazy because I just think you have to reinvest that back into the community. Like it's the thank you gift at the end of this to say, hey, I'm still with you. I did this. I took my withdrawal. Now I'm going to reinvest that and continue to let the collective community build on something and grow interest on what I'm putting back into it. Uh, you have to come back on the other end and give back to that. And I mean, that's what CancelCon was is, hey, I need time. I need resources. I need sponsors. Uh, I need promotion. Great. You've given me all of that. So you've given me everything that I asked you to withdraw. Here's an event for you. And here's something that's going to bolster the community. And it's giving all of that back to you. I, I definitely got the withdrawal of like, I got a bunch of followers out of that. I got a bunch of connections out of that. There were benefits for me that I did withdraw, but then everything that I could put back in, I'm like, cool, let's give the time. Let's give the resources. Let's find the speakers. Let's do another one. So the creative community, you've already invested in Creative South, you show up on Adobe Live, you help teach classes, you connect with people, and you also ask for speakers to help with events and things. You are putting back more than what you're taking. Yes. And I think that that's important. I think that that's really important is the answer. There is definitely, and I kind of have this mindset with making connections as well, right? That I don't like to social climb, but I know a ladder when I see one, right? <laughs> that you're not trying to like make these connections, but you're like, oh, 
like literally going to lunch with this person could lead to all these things. I'm going to invest in this, but like, this is a ladder. I'm going to climb it. Like I'm not trying to do that, but I'm not going to like not climb the ladder if I see it. Um, but I think that you, you have to reinvest in that community. And like you said, putting more back into the community that I'm getting to me, I try to like almost even it out. Cause there's a lot of stuff that I, I get paid for, like a lot of community involvement, a lot of, you know, Adobe live stuff, a lot of classes that I'm teaching some of that stuff. Yeah, that's my job. And that's what I get paid for. And so I think that I almost think of it as the zone of like Robin hooding, which is interesting to hear you say, right. That you're like, Oh, you're reinvesting more that I'm taking these resources from, you know, companies or organizations that have money to give me for that community stuff. And then Robin hooding it and putting it, back into the community, which then ends up leading to more work for me that I can get money from doing these community events, which then goes back into the community for things like canceled con uh, that I'm able to just fund that out of uh, any freelance stuff, being able to take one thing to another thing. Uh, and I love doing that, especially with conferences that if they're paying me to come out to host the conference for the week, it allows me to then do my own conference with canceled con. It allows me to do the uh, ha 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 days which we did uh, last December to where we just did two weeks of giveaways uh, to give back to the community, highlight some cool artists, that it is that Robin Hood idea of I'm leveraging community to make money from corporations and businesses that maybe are not communities and then take it from the business and corporation and put it back into the community, which they are also supportive of, which is great. And so it's just a fully supportive line of community all the way down. <laughs> but it's because you've, You've taken that time. And I think that's why you get yes. so fired up where people try to take advantage of a community that you take so much time protecting. Yes. And I do feel like, like I always tell people that I'm a party dad, that I want to make sure everybody's like good and taken care of. And I think that I, I definitely have to check myself in gatekeeping the idea of design community. Uh, but I do get fired up about it. Um, I think that it's something that's really important to me. It's like a home that I've found. And so I feel like the community dad of just like, Hey, we need to make sure everyone's okay. We need to make sure everyone has a space. Like I'm not going to stand for that. Like we are not going to be doing that right now. Um, there's been a lot of stuff on social media in the last few years to where the design communities turn against itself and turn against each other. And communities kind of been leveraged as a weapon. And like, man, the days that like things like that are happening on Twitter, I am so spicy the entire day. Um, and I try not to speak publicly out about it because I don't want to start a fight online because I definitely want, you know, I want people to have their spaces, but it's conversations that I'm having with other, you know, community people of, Hey, how, what can we do to like, to help with this? How can we change this? How can we like not make that happen? And the anger that I have inside me when I see new zones of, dissonance in the design community come up, it makes me really, really angry because they're, they're things that haven't existed in the design community, right? That there are these times, and I mean, this is the age of social media, that things will happen on social media to where a new zone of dissonance in the design community, especially online will happen. And that opens the door for everybody to just like come after each other. And like, we're attacking here and we're attacking there. And it's like, guys, we don't attack each other that like we're in this together. Let's make cool stuff and be creative and lift each other up. And let's sure have conversations that are real on the side. Let's have our fights, but like, let's definitely like have those fights with people and have conversations. And so it's, it's really hard for me to see and not feel like I need to protect design community when that kind of stuff is happening. And I completely understand where you're coming from because design community is our safe place. 
And it should be that. It needs to be that. Right. And when we see it attacked, we do want to defend it. But it could also be because we're so passionate about what we do. We don't have as much empathy as we should. Yes. And I think that that's something that I'd love to see more of in the design community is like education and yeah, I think just I think just education about things, because I think the design community has always been big on let's understand different perspectives and let's be inspired by each other and the things that we make, right? Different styles, different artists. And I think that as social media has become more polarizing, we've forgotten about that when it comes to ideologies, when it comes to uh, worldviews, when it comes to kind of perspectives on situations, right? Opinions on things that are happening. And this is not at all, I don't mean any like actual real world stuff. I mean like within creativity and the design community in general, I would love love to see more of these moments of like, Hey, I'm super fired up about this. I think this thing, you know, X, Y, or Z happened. And like, I'm just going to like, blah, of having those moments of like, Hey, can we, let's talk about this. Let's have some education, right? Even the NFT space, I could come in super spicy and be like, this is dumb. They're just trying to like attack people and take their money or whatever. But I'd very much like to have that conversation of like, how does this work? Like, I want to learn more about the community because I don't like it and I'm super spicy about it, but I'm not going to go and attack them. Um, I just want to learn about it. So I think I'd love to see more of that in the design community is, hey, let's help educate each other and I can be educated and completely disagree, but let's have the education conversation and then realize, oh, I fully understand. I 100% disagree and I don't like it, but I understand now and that's good for you. Cool, go for it. Like you do your thing. I'm gonna be mad about it over here, but I understand now. And I took that opportunity to understand and I'll be mad to myself, but I'm not going to be mad right to everyone else. Right. I, I think the idea of if you're going to leave, then leave quietly. I think that that's a, a big thing, right? If I'm angry, great. I will be angry, but I'm going to be angry to myself. And that's, that's fine. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to leave quietly and you can have your space. I'll go in my space. See you later. I think that's totally fine. The mentality of knowing when something isn't for you and being okay with that. Yes. And that's why I try to protect and speak well about all communities. Um, Even when, I mean, there's been conferences that I've been involved with and I'm like, not my jam, but it's someone's jam. And we need to make sure that there is a jar for that jam, right? Uh, that, That people have a space. And so I think that that's important as well. That's just cool. I, I want to be a proponent for community in general for everyone to find their space in the design industry. I love that. Well, as we wrap up, you've already talked about your future plans, but do you want to throw it out there again? Yes. Um, go to my Instagram, uh, hawk.co, H O C H D O T C O, no punctuation. Um, and just take one of my Southwest posts and just DM it to Southwest. Just tweet it to them. Uh, I, I'm working, trying to get Southwest to pick up a merch line that I've been creating so far. No progress, but uh, that's my ask for you. Listener, go to my Instagram. You don't even have to follow, like literally just, just tag them or send it to them. And that would mean the world to me. Thanks again for listening in. If you liked this episode, it would be awesome if you took the time to subscribe. And if you want to send me your thoughts to continue the conversation, email me at info at happyimpulse.com. You can also find me on Instagram at happyimpulse. And as always, thank you for giving a thought.